Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. It is episode two of our postseason series, and today we've got our team of the years, our Premier League best 11s, uh, along with some superlatives, signing of the season, flop of the season, such. Um, we got some criteria for our uh, for our superlatives at the end yeah. of the season to take out the obvious choices, but mm-hmm. we'll get there when we get there. But for now, we will tackle our Premier League team of the seasons. It seems like there are a few standouts yeah. in some of the positions, and it might turn into just a how should I say acknowledgement yeah. of uh, of some great performers this year more mm-hmm. than kind of like a pointing out yeah um or a co- or a you know conversation but either way let's jump right into it let's start from the bottom and work upwards uh let's start off with the keeper who do you got in goal for your teammate so this is one of the more competitive uh positions yeah. for me at for least me it was between two yeah it was between Two as the third one I threw in there as an honorable mention, but I've gone with Allison. Okay. Um, Allison obviously has always been one of the best keepers of the league since he's come in, but never before has he been so relied upon by this Liverpool team because in the first half of the season, especially Liverpool's defense was absolutely shambolic, and they just relied on Allison so much to keep them in games. Really, it seemed like he was the only one who was performing. Because the front line still hadn't clicked yet with, um, you know, Nunez and uh, Jota and Salah and one line or whatever combination they had, you know, that week. So while everything was going wrong for Liverpool, the only constant that remained was Allison. He, he, I know that Liverpool didn't end up getting top four, but I think the only reason they even made a push towards the end of the season was because of the fact that Allison kept them in all of these games earlier on in the season and gave them that, you know, benchmark to push on from. So Allison has always been this good and he could have had a season like this any year prior. Yeah. Um, but this year he was just needed so much more and he faced so many more shots. And I think that's why sure. he was the best this year. Tough to argue with that really. He's, consistently very good also good with his feet he had a couple critical errors mm-hmm. with his feet um some of them cost him some of them didn't but uh i i went with a keeper mainly on consistency and that man is nick pope uh he i think i think it, but the, i said it was between two the other one was aaron ramsdale just for and the reason i didn't pick aaron ramsdale is because he had those moments where I think he was tied for the most errors in the league, critical errors in the league with six. Yeah. Um, Just wasn't punished very often. Yeah, yeah, luckily. But he was the one that I would say bailed out his team more than any keeper in the league. And I think I say that relatively because, you know, Ivan Meslier has bailed yeah. out his team, but he also faces ridiculous amount of shots. So, like... I think relative to the amount of times he was needed to bail out, he was phenomenal. He, I'm talking about Ramsdale. Mm-hmm. He picked up, like, was the sole reason for a, you know, a certain amount of points for Arsenal this year. And, like, you can attribute it to yeah. his performances, which I don't know if you can say for Nick Pope. However, I think Nick Pope had a better season because he was so consistent. Obviously, top five shot stopper in the league, maybe top three this season. Yeah. Um, but very good with his feet, very consistent. 
Um, and unlike Ederson, who didn't face the shots because of possession, Newcastle played a lot of games where they packed it in and yeah. uh, invited pressure. And he still came up uh, as part of the team that mm-hmm. was tied for the, the best defensive record. So unbelievably consistent, unbelievably strong year for Nick Pope. Um, it's interesting that I think the two best keepers in the league are both English because, and neither of them are, are the England number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, either way, that that's another, that's, that's a topic for later in the summer. Um, but yeah, I think Nick Pope, I, I wasn't really considering Allison just because he, their, their defensive record wasn't great. Um, and I think Nick Pope and Aaron Ramsdale had better seasons. Mm. Um, but I think Nick Pope's consistently consistency throughout the season. Of course, he had a handful of you know phenomenal saves, uh, but his consistency overall, shot stopping and things like that, the opposite I would say of David De Gea. Because yeah. De Gea, like what it, it goes to show how detrimental it can be when keepers do make those critical errors mm-hmm. and to make like maybe none throughout the course of the season. Like Nick Pope, it's commendable and I think it deserves the goalkeeper spot in the team of the season. All right. We move on to the defense. Uh, left back. Let's go both center backs first, and then we'll go mm. with the wing backs. So, both are center backs, one by one. Okay. Uh, up first, I go with the more, I'd say, popular pick, and that's Ruben Diaz. Okay. Um, just the ever consistent, you know, rock at sure. the back for City. Just another great uh, title winning campaign for him. Um, I mean, I, I've looked at some stats too because I didn't just want to say he's really good, yeah. which he is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, you you watch him play, he just rarely ever gets beat one v one. He's so strong. he's so strong. Yeah, the only time I've ever seen him get bodied is by Holland himself. Yeah, I mean, since he doesn't have to play against Holland anymore, I don't think there's anybody else who's gonna be able to body him. Um, but he he was injured for probably about a third of the season. He missed twelve games. In those 12 games, without them, they averaged 1.7 or 1.67 points per game. With him, they averaged 2.65. Yeah. Just shows how important he is defensively to City. Um, and yeah, there's not too much more to say than that other than City, again, had another strong defensive campaign. And that came when Ruben Diaz was on the field. So I think he's just a pretty solid pick for the first center back in there. Do you have him in your team? Uh, I did not really have Ruben Diaz in my team, and it was partially because of two things. One, I think it's very, very difficult for city for city centerbacks to stand out mm-hmm. because, at least for me, I don't really attribute their defensive record to a strong defense per se. Mm-hmm. I think they just have so much ball possession and have such a unique team where they can have the ball for so long and not give up those mm-hmm. critical mistakes where they would have a really good goal uh goals to game average goals against to game average whoever you put back there and Ruben Diaz was very strong and very solid in both the Premier League and the Champions League however I think there were players that were more challenged that had better seasons also he missed 12 games yeah. which you could say um you know when you're looking at full season awards. Yeah. Um, that's why it's very difficult for a January signing, however well, you know, well they played in the back mm-hmm. half of the season. It's very tough for them to make the team of the seasons because they just didn't play that full season. Yeah. So my first center back is 
Sven Botman. Two Newcastle players. Um, but I think that this Newcastle defense, the only two Newcastle players in this team. Oh, one of three. Mm. You might imagine what the other one is. Um, but this Newcastle defense deserves to be commended because, like I said, they weren't 60-70% possession every single game. They, they did for some of the, against some of the bottom feeders, but there were a lot of games where it was 50-50, and they did have to do their fair share of defending and strong defending, and Sven Botman had the second highest tackle rate after Aaron Wambasaka, which for a center back is, is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, again, obviously high in aerial win percentage and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I think everybody, especially Newcastle fans, understand how good Sven Botten was this year. And again, 36, 37 games played. He did it the entire year. Tied for the uh, defensive record, like I said, with Nick Pope. Just very, very consistent. Um, no, Not many errors either, like I said. Uh, the other center back I that I picked, which I'll get to after your second center back, is more of a center back for, I think, how aggressive he was. Um but this one, I think he just played a perfectly like sound center back mm. season for a center back, which you could also say about Ruben Diaz, but I think Sven Botman was a little bit more challenged in his, yeah. in his role. So that's what I'll say. Well, that's a fair argument because my second center back is also Sven, Sven Botman. Um, yeah, like you said, just a fantastic debut season, really consistent, and he just fits really well into a Newcastle defense that's just so physically like overpowering him with Dan Byrne and Fabian Scher. So dominant aerially, again, um, just like a stat for you, they had the fewest uh, set play expected goals against. It just shows yeah. that from corners, free kicks, sure. like they're just defending those so well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not going to mention too much more. Goes to already got Nick it. Pope as well yeah. on the punch outs. And stuff, mm-hmm. so. so yeah, get into your uh, second center bash. So my second center back is Gabriel of Arsenal. And I think that this is, I think it's strangely an unpopular pick mm-hmm. in center back because he had a phenomenal season, not only when he was Saliba's center back partner, but you saw how important he was when Saliba went down and he was, had to be relied upon on to like run down these center backs with these strikers when they got in behind he had a a handful wouldn't even do it justice how many like goal saving tackles he had um the reason i'm giving it to gabriel is for how consistent he was and how well he his two main bugaboos i'll say Mm -hmm. going into the season were critical errors me, you, and Dad used to say you used to make one a game, no matter what. Yeah. Not two, but not zero. Yeah. Um. And he couldn't play out of the back. He was really, really poor playing out of the back, and it was one of the reasons that Arsenal fans thought we should move on from him was because in the Premier League you need to have ball playing center backs, and Gabriel just wasn't that. He was a lefty, which was nice for the left side, but he just wasn't that. And this season he was phenomenal on both accounts. First 10 games of the season, he made a couple errors, but those were all ironed out through Arsenal's fantastic run going into the World Cup and after the World Cup without Jesus. He was superb in the air. He's our, even with Rob holding in the gate, yeah. he is our best player in the air by far. He attacks the ball with venom that you only see from, you know, the Van Dykes of the world. He, he was phenomenal, consistent, played 
almost every game for Arsenal 90 minutes with passion. And I think that when you put up against guys like Ruben Diaz, who was the one, it was between the, th- you know, three for two spots. Um, I think he had a better season because of the, the challenge that he had. And I think that with tackles and, you know, game uh, goal saving tackles and things like that, he was so, so strong. And I think that Arsenal fans appreciate him as, you know, fans do of their own players mm-hmm. the most. But I think he's one of those players that I think you don't truly understand how good he was unless you you watched all 90 minutes of every game. So No, I'm really glad you put him in there because I was I was considering playing yeah. in there, but I know how just like again, under and how much of an under the radar yeah. pick that would be at Center Rack because everyone's thinking, you know, Botman Diaz, you know, maybe even Saliba in there. Yeah. yeah, throw yeah. In there. But here's the thing, I would have I would have genuinely put Saliba in this team. And most people think, oh, you know, because he got injured yeah. towards the back end, you know, I wouldn't want to put them in there. Put him in there. But the reason I didn't put him in there is because honestly, his form tailed off yeah. towards, you know, the end of his season A- after Christmas. Uh-huh. You know, Saliba, Saliba, you know, wasn't towards his peak. Now, in the beginning of the season, he was a better center back than Gabriel. He looked like yeah. the reincarnation. Yeah, I think he was of, best center back in the league. Yeah, first genuinely. Game, yeah. That first game against Palace, I'm like, we. <laughs> We have a Van Dyke, you know, Maldini, yeah. just like cyborg here. Yeah. Like at their peak, Saliba is just, again, just an absolute Rolls Royce center back. But in terms of consistency, Gabriel never faltered yeah. throughout the entire year. And there's really something to be said about that. So, yeah, I'm glad you put him in there because yeah. he genuinely does deserve that credit. Uh, okay. Left back. Left back, I'm going with Alexander Zinchenko. I also have Alex Zinchenko, so we can have a little discourse. Yeah. Um, yeah, there weren't... In terms of honorable mentions, I have Nathan Ake in there. Definitely does deserve a lot of credit for how much he's progressed. I will say that I think the left back field was not as strong. I think Robertson might be in there, too, because I think his season was clouded a little bit by how poor Liverpool were. I think yeah, really, really good season. Because of the standards we usually hold them to, he kind of has to, again, meet those yeah. to be in the conversation. I, he's still so, a very yeah. good season. I just think the left back position overall. I think Zinchenko might have lost this spot if Robert, if Liverpool didn't have a, had a better season early on or there was a standout left back. But Zinchenko was definitely the best in this left back pool. But yeah. yeah. And again, it's really just about how transformative he was to this Arsenal team because it completely changed how they play possession with him sliding into the center mid role. And he's just, he's so composed in the ball. He's just a really good passer. And he's, for, listen, he did tail off defensively towards the back end of the season, I will say. But I think over, I I was worried about him defensively compared to Tierney overall. But for most of the season, he was consistent defensively. You know, I always think back to that um, United game at home at the Emirates where he was, in my opinion, man of the match, yeah. despite Nketiah scoring two goals. He was just absolutely yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Played a flawless performance in all aspects. And, yeah, but you could just really see that when he wasn't on the field, how different it yeah. was for Arsenal. So I think just because of, not they necessarily played better than Ake or Estupignan, but I think as a tiebreaker of just how important he was to this Arsenal side, that's what gets him in this team of the year. Because Estupignan and Ake, both, you know, good players for their teams, but without them, you know, they would, you know, City and Brighton would have been fine. Without Zinchenko for the entirety of the year, Arsenal would have been a lot worse off. (laughs) Yeah. I think the biggest display of that was when uh, Zinchenko was injured for a couple games and Tierney started, 
and they still decided to do the whole left back and uh-huh. field role and Tierney was playing as the CM yeah. in, in in the attack and it did not yeah it, it just wasn't as fluid as as the Zinchenko uh left back the CDM role yeah he was in terms of progressive passes progressive dribbles uh key passes like uh, line breaking it was him and Odegaard that did all of that from the midfield. Party was the guy that kept the ball and swung it side to side, but it was Zinchenko and Odegaard that progressed the ball. And for a team that were title favorites for 30 games, yeah, to be the you know cornerstone of that kind of attack at left back is team of the year worthy, and rightfully so. And a right back. Kieran Trier. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got both, <laughs> both of the left back and right back, but yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Uh yeah, I my first bullet point is a near consensus pick. Yeah, at uh right back, White and Akanji were my honorable mentions uh for this one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Trippier was not only a part of you know the best defense in the league this year, but he was also just a key player in the creative build up for Newcastle, especially from set pieces and of course from crossing. Yeah. Um, just in the same way, Newcastle had the lowest like expected goals against from set yeah. pieces they also had the highest expected goals from set pieces and again Trippier has taken every set piece every set piece so that just shows how important he was in that aspect uh yeah a fantastic season from him he already started off hot for Newcastle when he signed last January I believe yeah. um but yeah he just took his game a step further um always somebody who I guess I never really rated that highly. Not that I thought he was a bad player, but while he was at Spurs, I never Spurs for Atletico. I never yeah, really Spurs, he was fine. Uh, Atletico, he was okay, but when he came back to Newcastle, it was like he yeah, and he's up. and he's always been a good player. To be fair, though, yeah, um, yeah, for, yeah, for England too. But uh, yeah, now he's really strong his stuff in the Premier League for, yeah. and you know he'll be playing Champions League yeah. next season. Um, I think the one stat that sticks out to me is he had 110 key passes this year second to bruno and 16 more than kevin de bruyne yeah uh kevin de bruyne missed more games but i think that's just from the right back position that's just ridiculous 110 yeah. key passes from right back that's that's silly and in a team that's not city or arsenal or liverpool that have 110 key passes that is that is silly stuff i mean he was man of the match of at least 10 games for Newcastle, 10, 15 games every single time. Because I get the notification on my phone, like, Blank was man of the match from the Premier League app. Mm. I Every single time, man of the match, king of the match, here at Trippier. Like, not, maybe not from key pass perspective, but just assists from corner kicks, assists from free kicks, like, key passes, ball progressions, defending, too. Like, I, I, I had the thing in here, uh, arguably as good a season as Trent has ever had, and he can defend. 110 yeah. key passes. Like, maybe, maybe it wasn't Mane on the end of every single Trent cross, but, like, as good of a season as a right back has had, at least in the years that I've been watching, and he's defending, um, which is just... Can't say enough about him. Uh, but, yeah, there's a reason why he was the consensus pick. Yeah. Um, and that is that. Moving on to the midfield. Let's go the most defensive mid that you got. Okay. And for me, that's Rodri. Okay. Um, it's between two, likely, for the CDM role. But good. Yeah, just another fantastic um, campaign and another city title-winning season. 
led all midfielders in the league in uh, completed passes and second only to Declan Rice and ball wins. So he's doing it on both sides of the ball. Um, and that's not even talking about, obviously, how important he was to City in the treble campaign yeah. in the Champions League, especially. Um, yeah, there's not too much more to say about other than the fact that he's just one of the best you know, sixes in the world. Champions League player of the year. Yeah, I think he was. And rightfully so. Yeah. Um, if you're not going to make it Holland, which to be, to be fair, Holland, you know, 12 goals, top score, yeah. but five of them were in that one game yeah, in Leipzig. So no, I yeah. do think Roger genuinely deserves that. And again, he's one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. Now you have to say, and yeah. another great consistent performance from yeah. this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I gave it to Casemiro, uh-huh. which it, it, I was like, you're splitting hairs with these yeah. two, honestly. I think. Casemiro's like the heart pick because mm. he did so much for United. Yeah. Uh, while City may have gotten by without Rodri, still played a massive mm-hmm. role in their title push. But yeah. they, you know, because they're so talented, you know, Calvin Phillips will slide in and yeah. the title. They but. signed Calvin, Calvin Phillips for $45 million and they and Pep literally refused <laughs> to play him over Rodri. Uh, that's not what this is about. But uh, yeah, Casemiro... I think the United title charge can be attributed to two things specifically. The very short title charge, but... <laughs> well, not title charge. I meant top four charge. Uh, I didn't mean title charge. Top four charge can be attributed to two things. Uh, Rashford's godlike two months mm-hmm. and Casemiro's signing. Yeah. It was clear that United needed to sort out the defensive midfield. And once they did... It was a different United team, like completely different United team. And to just have your presence, not only with the goals that he scored, because he Mm -hmm. scored like five goals in the league. And he scored some key goals. Now, these aren't in the league, but like in the FA Cup and like Carabao Cup, like he scored some like big goals. Yeah, absolutely. And just his presence, his ball winning, his experience in the midfield, just transformed this team in every single aspect it allowed bruno to to get free it allowed the wingers to have more space because he could spray the ball out wide it was a transformative performance from casemiro on all fronts uh the argument you could say is that he got two red cards and got suspended for a decent amount of games and they finished stumbling a little bit um, and, you know, Casemiro's played okay. Well, Rodri finished very strong and had a very strong season. Um, but I think Casemiro's the pick because of what he did for United, not necessarily what he did as an individual, mm-hmm. um, which I think kind of goes hand in hand a little yeah. bit. Um, but again, splitting hairs, absolutely could have. I think I, I wrote Casemiro, wrote out all the notes, and I'm like, this could very well be Rodri, mm-hmm. but I like already wrote out the notes, so I'm not yeah. going back. But yeah, I would say 1A, 1B, too. Um, next midfielder. Uh, Martin Oliard. Yeah. Me too. Uh, I'm sure, obviously, both of us had him. Um, again, Martin Oliard just took such a huge leap forward this year. He, you know, previously, you know, he was the young creative talent that was you know destined to be a world-class player and he's reached that he is now that world-class player that everyone knew that he yeah. would become he i think he doubled his final goals and assists tally from last year he 14 goals is it 
Yeah, at 15. Goals. Yeah, 15. 15 goals, yeah. yeah. And he is a player who, obviously, I've always loved since the moment he came yeah. to Arsenal. Um, but I had criticized him in the past just because of his lack of, like, desire to shoot the ball, which sometimes he still has. <laughs> but, you know, was, he just didn't want to... Which wasn't scoring enough goals or as many as he could. And this year, he just... You could argue he still yeah. shoot enough. <laughs> still. But, you know, he, he's proven that, you know, he can fire from long range, that he's, you know, a poacher in the box. He's had many... He's had a couple of braces this season, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's just taking his game to a whole nother level. Not to mention that, you know, he's leading from the front now as a captain um, at such a young age... It's just been a phenomenal season for him. Can't say enough good things in terms of his creativity. Um, he he does. He's the heartbeat of uh, you know the Arsenal attack. Where would they be without? Him? Yeah, seriously. Where would Arsenal be like if they had to play Fabio Vieira at the ten? Like they'd be fighting for yeah. top four, <laughs> struggling for top four. Like Martin Odegaard. Like I said it before the season. I said word for word before the season. He is one of the most talented players in the league and. Mm-hmm. He came out, and I think he's one of the most talented players in the world now. Like, in terms of raw talent, you know, players are helped by speed, strength. Like, in terms of raw footballing ability, that flip-flap ball he had into Jaka that was almost an assist. Oh, yeah. That I was crazy. <laughs> like, I almost mm-hmm. wept. That was, like, unlike any... Like, Messi's never done yeah. that. Like, like let's be honest here. <laughs> Sorry, it's been... Yeah. But... I think Messi's never even tried that. Like, am I comparing the two? No. But, like, ju- I'm just saying, like, um, just from an IQ, just take away the fact that he is one of the best first touches I've ever seen. Just from an IQ perspective, the way he scans that ball to Martinelli in the Brighton game yeah, crazy. The weight, the bend, like the vision. He wasn't even looking at him for five seconds. He just knew he would be in. He saw him take off, then turn back and played just like an... Like that's one of the assists of the season. And it's... it's Everything he does is just the epitome of what a 10 should be. He's Mesut Ozil with somehow more IQ. Like so, somehow like everything Mesut Ozil was for Arsenal... Odegaard, maybe he's not there yet, mm-hmm. but he's going to soar right through that. Yeah. Because he is phenomenal and on his way up. I mean, this is reminiscent of the Ozil, you know, crazy assist season of 15-16, was it? Yeah. 15? Very reminiscent. Just like, feed this guy, he will find your forwards. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And Ozil only bagged like four or five goals that season. Martin Odegaard bagged... 14, 15. Yeah. Like, let's 15 goals from from the midfield. And in an Arsenal team that I think was like 19th out of 20 in goals from midfield last season, because they just couldn't find goals from the midfield. I think Emil Smith-Rowe had like three of their four. Just a breakout like this is just a testament to how good he's been. And I could sit here and do another three podcasts on Martin Odegaard's 2022-2023 season. But... We must move on to, I'm sure, what is another consensus pick, your third centerman. Um, Maybe it's not. It's not, because okay. I'm sure I'm sure you're thinking Kevin De Bruyne. I am thinking Kevin De Bruyne, but um, go ahead. But I've actually gone with a 4-4-2 formation here. I say, mid-right-mid. Yes, okay. so for left-mid, I've gone with, as you can probably guess, Marcus Rashford. Rashford. 
Um, and yeah, it was a ch it was a you know choice to do a you know four man midfield <laughs> and yeah. omit De Bruyne for uh, Rashford. Uh, but I do think that Rashford has overall had a better season than Kevin De Bruyne. It was a renaissance year for him, and I think while there, I think what people may have against Marcus Rashford is that they have this idea that it was only just like these like two months after yeah. the World Cup where he just went on, where he was the best player on the planet. Yeah. Like genuinely, he was the best one on the planet for these two months. Yeah. Um, and people think, oh, like that was just like his whole season. They like dropped off, you know, before and after that. But no, he was consistent like all year. He was September player of the month. Like he was good right from the off of this Premier League season. So don't get it twisted. Like he's been consistent all year and he had a bit of an injury towards the back end of the year and they came back and scored a couple goals even towards the end. Um, and I think again, also when you talk about team of the season, like, you're not just talking about, you know, which player, which is the best player who necessarily had the best season, but also who is just the most important mm -hmm. at times. And Marcus Rashford had to carry just the vast majority of the goal scoring on this team. If you look down the list for United, next highest goal scorer um, was Bruno with eight goals. Rashford had 17. Then next was Martial and Sancho with six. Yeah. Then Casemiro with four. Like there was not a lot of other goals, yeah. a lot of other goal scorers on this team than Rashford. Mm -hmm. And without Rashford, United probably wouldn't have gotten top four because they they did not have scores on the team this year. So I think for that reason, Rashford is well worth his spot in this team over De Bruyne, controversially. Um. Yeah. I mean. The reason I would pick Rashford over De Bruyne is because this isn't De Bruyne's best year. Mm -hmm. You know, De Bruyne linked up very well with Holland. It's certainly more difficult to spread your assists among Mares and Aguero and Bernardo versus just funneling them all into mm -hmm. one Norwegian giant. Um, but Rashford, not like this guy bagged 24 goals, you know, he, Callum Wilson had more goals in the league. Like, fantastic season. Again, there is no denying and that, like, best player on the planet he was for two yeah. months. He was the best player on the planet. And whether you do, like, an average and that averages that out to a, a team of the year season, sure. But he went through spells a season where he was invisible. And I think when you're talking about the best 11 players in the Premier League, I don't think he fits. Um, but I consider him a forward, and I have three forwards that are all miles better than Marcus Rashford this year. Not miles. The third one, not miles, but certainly the first two. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to you know, move your formation around to fit Marcus Rashford in, kind of like four forwards more or less, I'm sure the right mid is kind of like a forward mm -hmm. as well. Um, certainly something to be said. I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you. Because of how just how good he was, um, but I think that his off form games probably dozen to fifteen of them were just too much to overcome to like kind of over just get over Kevin De Bruyne's fabulous consistency throughout the whole year. 
That's what I'll say. He had a fantastic season, though. And mm. if he's anything like that for United with, you know, maybe Ozzyman next season yeah. and uh, Anthony that wakes up, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah. That's what I'll say. On to the forwards. And I assume that two of them are consensus. Yes. Um, But the third, we'll start with the third one. I'm assuming the first two being Kane and Holland. Yes. Okay, so the third one for you is Bukayo Saka. Bukayo Saka. Okay, so we have three contenders. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's start off with Saka then. Uh, yeah. So obviously, for my formation, I was picking between um right wings. Only other one in the conversation would be Salah, and Salah definitely deserves credit because Salah had a thirty goals in his thirty plus goals in his this season in his down year. So let let's yeah. give Salah the credit he deserves because. Seems it was between Saka and Salah. It was between Saka and Salah, and people are like numb to Salah's just like yeah. insane consistency. From right wing, he's putting up, you know, these consistent numbers every single year, and yeah. it's just nothing short of sensational. However, despite you know, in terms of pure goals and assist contribution, Salah being better, I think most people would agree that it was just a more impressive season overall from Saka because of the genuine like consistency. Salah did have a like a big run of form towards the end of the season. Yeah. He started off really, really he was slowly. Very, very poor for the first fifteen. Yeah. Like he was almost unrecognizable. Yeah. Um and this is part of the reason why Liverpool stumbled out of the gate because nobody Darwin wasn't scoring and they were out Jota and it was Diaz, kind of. Like, it was Diaz, and then Salah would kind of wake up, and he was missing golden chance after golden chance. He was almost unrecognizable, and then yeah. he finally woke up. Um, but it was almost like that that goal uh, for against City at Anfield was kind of like that turning point for him. Yeah. He was he was missing shots in that game, even. And he finally put one away, and that was kind of like the wake-up call for him. But anyway, continue. Yeah, but Saka was consistent over the full course of the year. And, and it's not just about the goals and assists. It's just how good he was 1v1, just how menacing he was. It wasn't too long into the season that Saka started being double teamed routinely yeah. uh, every game. And it wasn't too long before, you know, Saka, you know, impressively was able to, you know, move. You know, it started a bit slowly where, you know, he would get double teamed and, you know, he'd get the ball taken off of him. But, after a couple of games, he was playing quicker, you know, receiving the ball, getting rid of it quickly, and then using, you know, that, you know, double team to his advantage and to Arsenal's advantage. So he's just continued to develop over the course of the season. Again, like Odegaard's made that step up in terms of goal contributions and assists too, and you know, double digits for assists, 14 goals in the league as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just very, very impressive season from a player who just continues to grow so much yeah so uh yeah i would say the same thing i mean there were times when he needed the 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 anti-saka argument would be he kind of disappeared when arsenal needed him most in that run-in um and then obviously he woke up for the wolves game because yeah arsenal final day um, but he, his first 25 games were phenomenal consensus, like up for player of the year. The next 10 were 
rough. And he's still a young player, but I, I think he might have just gotten worn down a little bit. Yeah. Um, Because he's had spells like this before in past seasons where he just wasn't himself, getting stripped of the ball too much, not being direct, not finishing. Obviously, that penalty miss against West Ham was brutal. Um, That would be the anti-Saka argument. The for-Saka argument is he was consensus best right wing in the league for 25 games of the season unstoppable 1v1 you knew he was going left and you still couldn't stop it and even when you did know he's going left he gave it to Odegaard after you double teamed him mm-hmm. and Odegaard had a bunch of space yeah. like, sometimes being a winger is not beating guys it's drawing defenders and yeah. shit like that's that's part of like Grealish does that every single fucking game like he drives the left the, re- uh, the right back until he gets mm-hmm. double teams and swings it over to Kevin De Bruyne like that's that's yeah. part of their game is to draw mm-hmm. defenders and he did that so much he's also very high work rate He's experienced a left back, so he wins the ball a lot um, when he needs to. Uh, if not for the last 10 games, for both Salah and Saka, it would have been a runaway. I think it was that much closer because Saka kind of came back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. Still young. I think to have a consistent season like he did for the first 25 games at his age would have been difficult and more impressive because how young he was i think that we're going to see amazing soccer seasons to come but at what's 22 21 21 i'm 21 man like fucking i got tired i was juggling on the field for half an hour this day like it's too i think he deserves not uh, he, he's not in this team because he's young he's in this team because he was a better player this year than mo Salah. but Aside from that, I think that I think we'll get thirty-eight game perfection from Salah at uh, Salah Saka at mm-hmm. some point. We already have got thirty-eight game perfection from Salah. Yeah, uh, from Saka, and we'll point to this season and say we saw it coming with him. Harry Kane, Ethan. Harry Kane once again scored thirty goals in a Premier League season in the same season that the. Goals scoring <laughs> record was broken. Can't catch a break. Yep. Um, that being said, this is arguably Kane's most impressive season, not just because of the goals, but the fact that it was goals in a team where he had absolutely no help. Or Spurs team he's ever played in, probably. Yes. Yes. And not not in terms of the actual quality that was on the field, but just how underwhelming they were. He's getting no help from Son Kolosevsky, who had inexplicably poor season especially after last season where that front three looked to be just completely devastating um but it's the 30 goals in 25 different games that's really just the craziest stat here by the way which is a premier league record for number of different games scoring in a season it's just showing just how consistent it is that 25 the different games. Like, he didn't just score, like, four goals in one game where Spurs were, like, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are stretched out over the course of a god-awful Spurs yeah. season. Um, and he was just doing it week in, week out, just like he's been doing for his entire Premier League career. Um, you just, you can't, you can't give him enough credit. He's, he's never really considered to be in, like, the conversation for one of the best strikers of his generation, probably due to the fact that he has no silverware to show for yeah. it, which 
I guess is fair enough. How did we <laughs> start talking about how good Kane is and still end up on the Civil War thing? Yeah. Which <laughs> <laughs> is so fun. But continue. I found a segue. Uh, but yeah, 30 goals in an eighth place Spurs team has to have to be in the, the air for that. And again, if there was no Holland, he'd probably be deserving a player this season. Um, there's a stat. Non-penalty goals minus non-penalty XG. Basically, how much you overperformed uh, your expected goals. Yeah. From five up, Phil Foden at 5.1 uh, NPG minus XG. 5.1 goal overperformance. Uh-huh. Roberto Firmino, 5.5. Martinelli, 5.7. Erling Holland, 5.9. Harry Kane, 8.3. He was a phenomenal on top of phenomenal because yeah. Holland was phenomenal and he was 5.9. Mm-hmm. Kane was three goals better than them. That's the greatest striker season maybe ever. Like, I think that really says it all. He, you know, did he even did he miss a penalty? Like he he's amazing at penalties. Didn't miss a penalty except he, in the World Cup. <laughs> oh yeah, well. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> he he's just he's just Harry Kane, and I said I wasn't going to talk about Harry, so I'm not going to talk. <laughs> um, but it's it every time he gets the ball, like it's. The same way when you watch when I watched Robin Van Persie, it just feels like every time he swings his boot at it, it's going in the net. Yeah. That's the same way I feel about Harry Kane, and that's what the way you should feel about the best strikers ever mm-hmm. is when he lines up a shot from inside twenty-two yards with a strong foot, either foot really, with Kane, like he can do it with either foot. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. five-star weak foot on FIFA. Like he's, he, <laughs> it's amazing how consistent this guy as you said over the course of 25 mm. games it's ridiculous like i don't think holland scored in 25 games did he no Probably, again like yeah I said, that's a premier league record for number of different games yeah. scored yeah. in a season and for the team i think it's just the fact how poor spurs this year spurs this year were compared to how good kane was for a sport where you as a striker are only as good as the service you get. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Look at Erling Holland. He had shitters of games. Yeah. Where he had four touches. And if you look at that one isolated game, you'd think, mm-hmm. really? This is your king? It, you're it, unlike a center midfielder that can make his own plays and go find the space. Strikers can do that, but their job really is to finish when they're told to finish and at 8.3 goals uh, above expected he did that better than anyone in really the world and that and by a lot too yeah like it it, it i cannot say enough and it it early holland's the player of the year but it's much closer than people think yeah and speaking of early holland <laughs> what do we have to say about this man um I mean, is there really even that much like say? I didn't really, I didn't really write any notes here for this one. Um, like we'll talk about like getting old at this point. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, this was this is the greatest debut campaign that you're probably ever gonna see yeah. from any really signing or any signing really. Um, 
besides maybe like R9 at Barca, yeah. like <laughs> 90s. But what more can you say than this dude just scored a lot of fucking yeah. goals? <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. If anybody could do it, they would have done yeah. it. Everyone's saying like, oh, well, he's doing it in this city team. Yeah. Then why hadn't Aguero yeah. done anything close to this? Um, yeah, won the treble in his first season, scored like 50 plus goals. Um, the only real argument is here, forget about, you know, player of the season, team of the season. Like, this guy should be winning Ballon d'Or. Yeah. I don't know if he's gonna because it's messy. Um, I think I owe Erling Holland an apology. Yeah. This season. Um, I don't know if you remember my direct defensive rationale for why Erling Holland was going to be that season, but it mainly revolves around the fact that I thought there wasn't going to be enough space in behind for him because a lot of his goals at Dortmund were when they lost on possession. And he mm-hmm. was able to hang on the shoulder at midfield rather than stand around at the top of the 18 while they were in possession. And I thought that in a possession-based team where the year before they had played a false nine, because which is the polar opposite of what they did this yeah. year. Um, a very true. Yes. Guy. Yeah. They were playing Phil Foden or De Bruyne basically around the, the D to kind of just like, switch the play in 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 behind lines i thought that this complete change of tactical arrangement was going to completely fuck up his you know entire uh style of play and he just for a 22 23 22 or what how old is he 22 i think yeah. For a 22-year-old coming to the Premier League for the first time, having to completely switch up his style of play, I thought it would take him more than one season to become the Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah. I was wrong. He is the most unguardable player I've seen since Messi and Ronaldo. He's Truly. like prime Shaq. <laughs> like, you can be anyone, and he moves so much, he's faster than you are. Whoever you are, he's faster than you. He's stronger than you. He's taller than you. Like, like <laughs> there's like, you, there's nothing you can do. And that the best players ever, the biggest compliment you can say in any sport is there's nothing you can do. Yeah. LeBron, MJ, Messi. Uh-huh. There's sometimes there's nothing you can do. And for Holland, if they whip the if they dink the ball in, and you look behind you, and Erling Holland's not there. The ball's going in the net. Like, yeah. it It didn't matter where it was. It didn't matter where the defender was. He was going to out-jump you. He was going to be more athletic than you were. He was. He hangs on your shoulder, and if you're not actively, like, sprinting back in the optimal pursuit angle to cut off this pass, it's over. And it's not like, oh, if you, like, give him an elbow or pressure him a little bit, you might knock him off the ball because you're not. And even if you manage to, it's still going into that. Like, the combination of finishing and strength and athleticism is... And just, like, pure, like, hunger. I I said this on the podcast, Mm -hmm. too. I've never seen, like, the hunger. Like, the... the, Yeah. Like, 
dilated pupils mm-hmm. to score a soccer goal. I mean, just look at the way he runs. Like, how terrifying is that for it, defenders? It seems like he doesn't eat and his energy is replenished by scoring goals. Yeah. Like, that. That it seems like he's physically, like, there's a, like a body reaction when he doesn't score goals. And I haven't seen that since Cristiano Ronaldo, to be completely honest. It's the only player I've ever seen do that. Yeah. Um, which is why even at 20 at, you know, Salzburg, I was like this kid, Yeah, you know, and ever that's what everybody said. It wasn't me. I, I didn't yeah. discover Hall. <laughs> uh, everyone said this fucking kid mm-hmm. and this fucking kid. And all of a sudden he goes from playing with Brendan fucking Aronson to Kevin De Bruyne. And now he's got himself. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. You know, game week one, Brayden. I'm sorry. <laughs> there. I said it. I'm sorry, Erling. All right, eleven up, eleven down. Not too many surprises in there. Um, let's move on to your player of the season. Now, here's how we're gonna do the superlatives: the player of the season, the signing of the season, and the young player of the season are all consensus. It's Erling Holland. Yeah, all of them. Nobody's arguing. That would be boring. <laughs> we're not gonna talk about Erling Holland for another twenty minutes. So, what we're going to do is say player of the season, signing of the season, young player of the season, aside from Erling Holland. We are giving these awards to Erling Holland. He has earned them through and through unanimously. However, I think that to be fair to the other players in the league, we should give out a 1B. And that's what we're going to do. Player of the season, B. Who do you got? I have, as I mentioned, Coleman's guy, I have Harry Kane. I also have Harry Kane. Yeah. So maybe we should um, talk about Harry Kane for that much longer. Yeah. But again, reiterate as yeah, I'll reiterate. Um, again, just how impressive of a season it was for Harry Kane. I suppose um other shouts that would be Odegaard. Yeah. I'd say it was the closest competitor for that. But Odegaard did have phenomenal season. But he was doing what he did, and just a team that was playing at the peak of their yeah. uh, powers for most of the year. Um, and there was a lot of other players who. I mean, Saka and Martinelli and, you know, Jesus, while he was healthy, were all putting up, like, very similar numbers in terms of, like, goal contributions. Um, Yeah. Um, But Harry Kane was just all on his own Mm -hmm. and just had a 30-goal season in a team that, without them, would be Chelsea. (laughs) We said on the podcast, Spurs without Kane is Chelsea. Um, and Chelsea came first. Yeah. <laughs> so not too much else to say. Uh, Harry Kane, if Holland didn't exist, would have gotten the Golden Boot and probably Player of the Year. Uh, Harry Kane. He. We we're thinking about doing a most valuable player, mm-hmm. as in like most valuable to their team. Mm-hmm. And I think that Kane would have won that over Holland. Yeah. Because of the mm-hmm. above replacement aspect where let's look at Julian Alvarez when he came into the team. I mean he was still scoring goals for Slim as well. Um Young Player of the Season. B. Um Bukayo Saga. I also have So again we're not gonna get too much into yeah. that, but I think this is a pretty consensus non Holland young player of the year. Um if Saliba was healthy all year and uh, maybe he would have been was there. my pick. Actually. Yeah. Um and uh, twenty games into the season, let me tell you, it was him or Saka. Mm-hmm. I actually thought they lowered it to twenty one, which is why I didn't even think about Holland. Um 
Yeah, it's 23, I think. I thought they lowered it to 21, but I, I mean, the awards yeah. given, so it is uh, it's 23. Sven Bauman was also in the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the debate for that. Uh, but yeah, Sokka was, I think, pretty much consensus, the second best uh, young player of the year. Just n- forget about, like, campaigns for, like, a young player. He was one of the best attackers in the yeah. entire league this year. So, very deserving yeah. of this award. Manager of the season. Um, there, This is an award that Holland yeah, can't win. This is an award that Holland can't win, finally. Um, I have a feeling we may have gone with the same manager here, but I do want to say that there's, this was probably, in any of the years I've watched the Premier League, I don't think there's been this many people who I could say were manager of the season yeah. and have a genuine argument for. Um, this year I've gone with Eddie Howe. Okay. Um, I, the honorable mentions I'd say are Unai Emery, um, Roberto De Zerbi, Pep Guardiola, Mikel Arteta, even Gary O'Neill. I think if you, you can make an argument for pretty much any of them, but I think it Erkin just, Hawk. but this, this Newcastle squad is not a top four squad yet. Like no. this like everybody was expecting, you know, Newcastle to have, you know, like a this, you know, long term, you know, plan to, you know, get back into the big six, you know, back playing European soccer. And that would take, you know, you know, five years, six years to, you know, build all the way up to there. And Eddie Howe has done it in a season and a half. Now he has gotten, you know, a lot of investment, but he hasn't been given like Mbappe and yeah. Neymar, like the they've made you know smart, you know mm-hmm. like pretty solid signings. Yes. But you know this isn't the squad that's better than mm-hmm. you know Liverpool or Chelsea or Spurs. Like it's not just the new signings that have been the key factors for them. Players like Jacob Murphy, um, yeah. you know Joe Willock stepping up and you know Al- parts, yeah Miguel yeah. Almiron. Like, you know, Sven Botman and Bruno Gimaresh, who, you know, I guess a relatively new sign, Gimaresh was January last year. Like, these new signings have been, you know, great players for them, but, you know, it's the, you know, the Dan Burns and the, you know, Nick Popes. Dan Burns, I've hardly clowned uh, a purchase more than I clowned yeah. Dan Burns in Newcastle, and he was a borderline stud. This year, yeah. like he was rock solid at left back for a six a hundred six foot twenty three, fucking left back who runs like a donkey. He was rock solid, and he stayed there the whole year. And it was basically all tactics that did that because he would get burned by any wing back. But it was all their tactics. Jolinton, I remember specifically from the Arsenal game. By the way, I also have anyhow. Mm. Um, so I also have some some words prepared. Uh, but in that Arsenal game, you really when it, when it's your team and you know how they play and you know how yeah. they operate and you know what they go to and their tactical setup, it was like one of the toughest games from a tactical perspective. At the Emirates, mm-hmm. that game, yeah. the nil nil, mm-hmm. they knew what every single time Martinelli or Saka got the ball, their center their center mid came down. Whether it was Joe Linton, uh. Murphy, whether it was like Sean Longstaff or whoever it was, they oh uh, Gumaresh, they always came down and helped, and 
helpless. Martinelli, yeah. Saka were helpless. It was a it was a snooze fest. And it was an it was an yeah. Arsenal team that was at the absolute peak yeah, of their absolutely. powers Pulling. this season. They were just absolutely flying, yeah. and you could you could see the frustration yeah. for the Arsenal players because they hadn't faced a side like yeah. that in the Prem yet that season, where they just couldn't do anything. Yeah. So, yeah, just an incredibly well managed team. And just getting contribution from everywhere, not just like the new expensive signings. I mean, Isak was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so was yeah. Botman, and yeah. pretty much every signing contributed. Yeah. But it's also players that Eddie Howe transformed, like Joe Linton. You can't it say enough about crazy. his transformation. Almiron uh, coming out yeah. of nowhere. Even the fact that, like Saint Maximon, who yeah. was one of their previously, you know, their best players, yeah. you know, now struggling to get into eleven because you know some of these other players have stepped up so much. And Anthony Gorn, who they signed for $45 million, you could say, like, oh, you know, it's the spending, but yeah. he could, he's hardly gotten into yeah. the team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, just phenomenal season from Newcastle, and it's all down. Well, not all down, but yeah, so much credit has to be given so, to Eddie Howe for I mean, just how he's fast-tracked this Newcastle project yeah. by five years. Yeah, seriously. Um, second to everything. Uh, signing of the season... Yeah, so this is again one of the more uh, tough ones. It was really, it was really between two, uh-huh. um, and I've gone for Jao Paulinho. Okay. Here, um, the other one was Casemiro. Okay. Um, and I think it's just there's a lot of things you have to factor in for transfer uh, of the season. Uh, I think one of the key factors here was uh, price because Jao Paulinho was only twenty million. Yeah. And just for how well Fulham have done this season too, because it's not just that they escaped, yeah. they didn't get relegated. They thrived really in the Premier League to finish in tenth in the top half, and that was and Jalfolino was such a big contributor. Um, you know the most tackles in the league, just such a good ball player, just really controlling the midfield all year. And when they didn't have Paulinho completely different you could see in that in that arsenal game where fulham were uh or where arsenal were away at fulham at craven cottage just you could arsenal were in a bit of a kind of like rough stretch where they mm-hmm. just kind of like gone out of a rough patch and i wasn't sure about going to craven cottage and they just absolutely dominated and obviously give so much credit to arsenal yeah. but fulham were all over the place and jalfonio wasn't playing and it showed mm-hmm. Um, so he's just been such a big contributor to this, to the success for this Fulham season. Yeah. Casemiro, definitely, um, one of the best signings this year. Um, he was more expensive than I thought. He was 60 million. I thought I got him for a bit cheaper. Uh, that, that doesn't take anything away from his season, but I just think to get a player like Jao Polina for 20 million, um, I think that's worthy of, uh. Just edging signing of the season yeah. for me. I think I think he definitely deserves uh, credit. My signing of the season was Casemiro, um, and my rationale for this: <laughs> when I was considering signing the season, I was taking not just how the player played and how much they cost, but the I I almost considered the board in it as well because. It's it's like it's almost a managerial award signing of the season because you need to 
evaluate your team, understand where your holes in the team are, and fill those holes with players that will do the job and do the job well. And I think that in terms of the team before and the team after the signing of Casemiro was so transformative that it was a no-brainer for me. Joe Paulinho, close. Similarly, they needed that solid defensive mid, and he was one of the best in the season, in the entire Premier League, and that's with Rodri and Casemiro and Party. Uh, and Rice. Yeah. But Casemiro, I th- it was between Casemiro, Jao Paulinho. Um, I thought about Jesus, who just didn't play enough games. Um, and Alexander Zinchenko. Um, but Casemiro, the team before and the team after, was just unrecognizable. And when you think about the signings that, like, just the signing of the season, it's not just the best new player in the Premier League. It's the player that was the signing of the season. Like, I, it sounds stupid when I just say that, but I think my point gets across where it needs to, like, it needs to be a good signing, you know? And I think it's it's part of managerial award as well. And I think Casemiro was just that perfect fit of filling a need with experience. And he was 60 million, but he was obviously worth every penny for where yeah. United finished in the league, which was third, uh, best of the rest, which is down to uh, if they had to play McFred for the whole season, yeah. they weren't touching third. Let me tell you that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the United fans would be the first to admit that. Um, Casemiro signing of the season now for a fun one flop of the season yeah so to start off a bit more broad I've gone with every Chelsea signing besides <laughs> Enzo Fernandez um, but to narrow it down from every Chelsea signing um, Batty Shield was okay Bat- Batty Shield was okay <laughs> that's fair um, there's a lot to choose from on the, the Chelsea uh, spectrum. Uh, I could have gone with the mommy Yang, but I thought not about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's his main point yeah. there. Um, but he just wasn't enough money to yeah. constitute being the worst flop of the season because everybody knew it was shit except yeah. for Chelsea. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's Mudrick. Uh. But I think in only half season, it wasn't fair. So I've given this one to Raheem Sterling because yes. All of these Chelsea signings flopped. Fofana, Kukurea, um, Kukurea. <laughs> um obviously Mudrick, um, you know, Hulabali was okay. Um, but all of these players, most of these players who didn't perform well yet are still young. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, you know, weren't Premier League proven. I'm sure well Kukurelli and Fafana had, you know, played in the Premier League. Um but you know, still young players. But by far the most developed and consistent going into this team was Raheem Sterling. I mean for the last five, six years he's been one of the best wingers in the Prem. Um just consistently in double digit um you know goals, you know, in assists, you know, in the high teens for goals usually. Um and just and they spent a lot on him. They spent nearly 50 million pounds on him. Yeah. And for him to just be so poor, only nine goals and assists in 28 games for Chelsea, um, six goals, three assists. You know, he's a signing that 
you just figured would easily get at least, you know, like a solid like 12 goals, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the season. And he just didn't. Now, obviously, it was a terrible Chelsea team. But I think in terms of underwhelming expectations, he is at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did. I never considered Ryan Sterling. Um, for me, it was between two. Um, the other one, the honorable mention for me was Richarlison. Uh-huh. Um, that one goal, one league goal is just... yeah. The the thing about Richarlison, and, obvi- and I think that would be a lot of people's yeah. uh biggest flaw this season. But the thing is, Richarlison was always an understudy, and uh, when he did get his chance, he was shit. No yeah. doubt about it. But because Richarlison was didn't have the expectations of being, uh, you know, the main man for Tottenham yet. And he will be when, you know, when and if Kane leaves. Um, I just couldn't justify making him the biggest flop of the season because yeah. I don't think he was just being relied upon sure. enough by Spurs. But, uh, yeah, continue. My flop of the season is Mikel Mudrick. Um, mainly, mainly, mainly because of the price. Yeah. I mean... 85 90 what was it what was the final number 85 million yeah. or something and he it's not he didn't get it a goal he didn't get a goal he got two assists that were fortuitous at best yeah uh but he just didn't joint leading a sister by the way yeah. <laughs> Chelsea um for Chelsea he just looked like shit like this guy in front of goal and 80 like 85 million pounds that is a lot of money mm. that is more money than like how many clubs have spent 85 million on a player like eight in the whole world have ever spent at least 85 million on a player like buyers never spent 85 million on a player i don't think probably never spent more than like 50 arsenal Pepe, 70. Mm. United, Pogba? He was 70. Pogba's, Pogba's 80. But Anthony, Anthony was what? Same? Anthony was same price. Yeah. So you could have even gone with Anthony, maybe. Um, but he, he, I mean, even he slipped in enough goals yeah. to evade this conversation. Ludwig yeah. was just really bad. And this, I didn't go in with a bias. Maybe you think so, because, like, you know, he snubbed Arsenal. Yeah. But. I thought he was fantastic. I wanted him at Arsenal. For if if the headline came out, you know, here we go, eighty five million to Arsenal. I've been like, that's a lot of money. I hope he works out. But I believe in him. Like he was, and I said it before when I I saw him play for Ukraine. I'm like, this guy's insane. If this guy can figure out how to finish, he'll be like Vinicius times two. Like this guy's ridiculously good. He's the fastest guy I've ever seen. Like fastest player I've ever seen. Like him and Adama. Like ridiculously fast. He still is. He just can't finish. And I thought that he would maybe like prove himself a little bit and again like so early you know he'll end up getting loaned out to fucking Milan or something but like he was just so 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 poor for 85 million I cannot stress enough if you spend 85 million on minimum 85 million on a player that player should have an instant impact like I'm sorry 85 fucking million on a player like if you want to sign uh an understudy 19 year old I mean how uh, what's Modric 21 20 if you want to start uh, f- uh, sign a 20-year-old like Martinelli to sit on your bench 
and you know sit under your already established players and just like grow and like see the field in two years, maybe see a loan spell. Yeah, that's fifty mil max. Like, I don't think there's a player above 50 mil that you could say, I believe in it enough to sit for that long. Yeah. Like, when you bring in a player for 85 million, that's like, I'm bringing in Ronaldo, like, 20, like, from United. Like, that, this guy's going to come in and and make my team a world superstar. 85 yeah. million. That is, that is 85 fucking million right there. Paul Pogba was 70-something million. I get a different time. But, like, that was young player, but, like, at 25, what was he, like, 26? That dude was, like, Team of the year, like world team of the year, Pogba for 80 million. Like this guy needs to come in and change your 11. Enzo didn't do that. Now he, mm. actually, I shouldn't say that he did, but that was because Chelsea was so bad. Yeah. Um. But like, yeah, he got them from like rock bottom yeah. to like slightly above rock bottom. 85 million, whatever it was for a player that did nothing. Like you bring in a player for thirty-five million and he does nothing, that's still a flop. This guy was eighty-five million and he did nothing. Even if it was half a season, even if it was five weeks, like, oh, you know, pressure, whatever, he's young. He's eighty-five million pounds. Don't pay eighty-five million if he's gonna stick up the field for a year. That already reduces his value. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, if you're I don't know. I don't know. And like the bully transfer policy, because they have so much money, is like maybe Maybe they were only willing to go 65, but you look at it and you're like, am I really going to cry over 20 million? And honestly, in this stage, day and age in football, you're probably not if you're Todd Bowley. So like, maybe that's why he was 85 million. But anyway, I digress. We have one more to go through and then we can wrap up this podcast. Game of the year. What do you got? Yeah. So this isn't my game of the year in terms of like entertainment, but it's my favorite game of the year. And that's Brentford for Man United now. Um, because just from... Uh, oh, man. My game is going to be funny as well. It's just from a comical standpoint, just in terms of, like, how much fun I've had watching a game this yeah. year, there's just no match. United, after this game, United sitting bomb in the league. Lissandra Martinez, who, coming into the league, everyone's saying, yeah. you spent 50 mil on this <laughs> midget, 5'7", he's not tall enough. All Little the United person. fans... Person. Right, sorry. All the United fans saying, you know, like, his height's not going to matter. Like, it's fine. It's going to be great. And then him getting just absolutely mossed for one of the goals in the air. Just absolutely fantastic. De Gea dropping a clanger four minutes yeah. into the game. Um, Obviously, De- uh, United already lost the first game of the season. Yeah. Two games under a new manager. Two losses. Yeah. Just everything about this game was yeah. pure vibes. It was a bad couple of days for me, too. And I just really <laughs> needed to pick me up and... It, it it could not have been better timing. So yeah, I, I just I just can't forget what this game did. It was just pure vibes. Uh, the Premier League. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. Seven nil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just it felt like the like a Key and Peele sketch. Yeah. Where like it starts off, you're mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, that's funny, and then they just keep like going further and further with the joke and it's just like at the end you're like this is fuck this yeah. is good. like they they, they keep well. picking like new routes yeah. like you just would never think exactly. of and they're like how could they escalate this yeah. joke further and then you're like oh sala again okay like oh my god it was so good just also the fact that like it was one nothing at halftime mm-hmm. and just six goals it was like goal yeah goal 
goal, and mm. every single goal, the comment, uh, it was, uh, I was actually in Paris watching this, so I got the, uh, the English commentary yeah. feed, so I had Carragher and Neville. Huh. So oh. it was, the, you could, you could see it. You didn't, they didn't show Carragher and Neville oh. ever, but you could see what Neville looked like, and you could see what Carragher <laughs> looked like with every word of tone. It was brilliant. Lip-smacking stuff. And maybe there were games during the season that were more back and forth, more competitive, blah, 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 blah. I don't give a shit. This was, for 19 Premier League fan bases, this was the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an all-timer, a classic. It's one you'll look back on and say, oh, that was the season when, 7-0. Yeah. And there you go. For honorable mentions, I just want to throw in, um, in terms of pure entertainment, I think Arsenal 3-2 Bournemouth, yeah. that game just, Arsenal going down mm-hmm. in nine seconds, yeah. then coming back from 2-0 down, the last second Reese Nelson winner, as, uh, was, was that the same match? Yes, yeah, because I was in Paris. Oh, wow. I was at the Basilica. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and then also the Liverpool 4-3 Spurs. Forget uh, forget yeah. about just yeah, the three yeah, goal yeah, comeback, yeah. but just the fact for that Richarlison <laughs> scoring his first goal, taking his shirt off, only for yeah. it to mean absolutely jack shit. <laughs> um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, also, uh, Leeds Bournemouth, that was a good one. Leeds Bournemouth, yeah. that was a great one. Uh, and uh, the Somerville winner, I would mm-hmm. say that's a good at one Anfield, too. yeah, that um, was fantastic game. Sorry, true. At Anfield, the three-three um, Newcastle City game, yeah. third week of the, the uh, season. Even Arsenal United was good. Mm-hmm. Arsenal Liverpool too was a good game. Yeah, yeah the fun what was the fourth game. Villa Arsenal with the mm-hmm. with the Jorginho thing, and then mm-hmm. the Martinelli empty netter. Um, Even the two-two uh, Chelsea Spurs one with the two-goal yeah, contact. Yeah. And with that, we'll wrap up the podcast for this week. Up next, we have the mini pods. Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U, <clears throat> Man City, Liverpool, and Spurs, and Newcastle. All coming up soon. Going to be half an hour to 40-minute pods. Just season wrap-ups, season grades. Um, where do they go from here? What their transfer window might look like. Just... Team focused. I think there's a uh, these seven deserve to be kind of dug into a little bit more because it, it's tough to kind of break it all down in one hour long podcast. So yeah. with that, we will see you on the mini pods. Adios. See ya.